thank you today for this beautiful day that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, that we do have the freedom to come together. We thank you that we're now able to come together and you're beginning to overcome, helping us to overcome some of these challenges that we've come through. We thank you now that we're able to do this online so people that are, that are, are yet not comfortable coming and those that even may not be able to come because they're confined or even some that are listening or watching, Father, that are in other parts of the country. Father, we thank you that the, uh, the opportunity through the, the internet and through social media to be able to reach out and to touch the lives of people. And Father, we trust and believe you today that as the word go forth today, it is a living word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. And as best as I know how, Father, I endeavor through prayer and through study to speak only your word this morning, that which you would speak to each one of us today. And now we trust this word to the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, who alone is able to take the word of God and deposit it into our hearts. And it is a two-edged sword. It Sometimes it heals and sometimes it cuts, but it always brings spirit and it always brings life. And so, Father, as best we know how, we lay aside the issues of our life right now and open our minds and open our hearts to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we began uh, last week to look at a subject. I started to go in a direction uh, that, I, that I wanted to go in, and I felt the Lord correct me because He began to apply the message to me. We were looking last week at Matthew 7, uh, the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it's the first real teaching and instruction we see Jesus giving to His disciples. And he, he announces to them essentially what is the, the constitution or the bylaws of the kingdom of God for us, to, how we are to operate. And so it talks about how uh, where the Old Testament told us that we, uh, we're, we're, we're to, we can love our neighbor, but we can hate our enemies. He says, you can't do that anymore. He talks about that, that you can't just use oath. Your word ought to be good. Your word ought to be an oath. He goes through relationships and how we're to relate to one another under the standard by which God relates to us. And he uses that at the end by saying, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then he ends it by instructions, which he ends other things that he says to his disciples and to us is, blessed are you if you do these things. It's not enough to hear them, but you need to do them for them to work in your life. But he ends with this little section of scripture where he says to me, says to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the will of my Father? Many of you will do great things in my name, but I'm going to say in that day, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I believe the message he has there, the essence of that message is, is it's not, it's not enough. We can, we can very lightly call him Lord, but is his lordship in our life changed our relationship with him so that we believe that we're under the authority of his word? Doesn't mean we're perfect. He understands none of us are perfect, but is our commitment to be under the authority of his lordship? It, it speaks to a relationship. That's why he says at the end of that, depart from me. I never knew you. You did things, but I never had a relationship with you. The relationship that we have with him is that of, of, of Lord. He is our Lord. He is the Lord, and he is our Lord. And, and then he goes on to say the real issue is this. Those of you who practice lawlessness. So we began to look at, okay, what is God's will? 
Well, at the end of his ministry with them, his time with them, in, in the Gospel of John, we have an account of the last discussions he had with his disciples before he went to the cross. It's in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And so we looked at it, and we're going to turn now to John chapter 15. And we're going to turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to see where Jesus says, I'm in the wrong place here. John chapter 15, we're going to see where Jesus says to his disciples, you can put it up there, verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Now, that's an amazing statement. So the love that I've had for you, I got from the Father. It didn't come out of me. It's the love that the Father has had for me. I have now loved you with that love. Abide in my love. The word abide is a word that means to settle down in, take up residence in, and dwell in. And we used the example last week, if you have a home, well, you live in that home. You're not in it right now. You came to go to church. But some point today, you'll go back into that home. It's the, it's the center of your life. It's the place where you, where you get rest. It's the place where you have your closest relationships, hopefully. And, it, and, and so abiding in His love means we live in it. It's, it's what we dwell in, and it becomes part of us. And then it goes on to tell us how, verse 10. And here's how you do it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. See, many of us, and I shared some of my testimony last week, we want to know God's love. I want to know how much you love me. I want to walk in your love. I want to experience your love. And he's telling us here the key to experiencing his love. As the Father's loved me, I have loved you. Abide. Settle down in. Take up your residence. Live in the love that I have for you. Abide If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he says, I've given you an example, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this is the key to, to walking in this, is to abide in his love is by keeping his commandments. So it still begs the question, what is the Father's will? Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the commandment that he's about to give us isn't to make us miserable. It's not to be some heavy weight. In fact, in 1 John, he said, the commandments he gave to us are not burdensome. They're easy. Some of the things I've been reading lately about this whole subject and just going through these passages points out a very, a very interesting idea, very interesting point, that kind of is convicting. He says, when we really struggle and the, and the commandment of God is difficult, the struggle is because we're fighting against it. The commandment's not difficult. It's the struggle to, to, against it of our flesh and of ourself. That's where the difficulty is. Once you yield, once we yield to His commandment, it becomes easy because the life of God is in us to, to carry that commandment out. Remember a number of weeks ago I used this example of what it's like to be a Christian in this world and we used the example where Jesus said the way is narrow but it, it leads to, to life and the way is broad and easy it leads to destruction. I used the example of once you're a Christian, it's like being in a rowboat that now turns around and you're rowing upstream but at the end of that is eternal life. If you just coast, it'll take you over a waterfall 
wall to destruction. We use that as an example. And that's what this is like. Once we begin to walk in this commandment, the life of God in us enables us to live it out. And the result of that is that His joy not only will be in you, but you'll be full of His joy. Joy doesn't come from the circumstances of our life. Joy comes from the life of God in us. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. So this is how you get there. Verse 12. And here it is. This is my commandment. We talked last week. A commandment has only two responses. Obedience or disobedience. Anything in between is of Satan. It's to bring confusion. And the purpose of confusion about a commandment is so that I delay having to obey it. Because His commandments are very clear. Do not eat of the tree, fruit of that tree. And the day you eat of it, you will die. Satan comes into the garden to bring confusion, to discuss what it really meant. To discuss what God's intentions were. And his scheme was to get her to disobey and then him to disobey. This is my commandment that you love one another. Well, we love one another, but oh, it doesn't end there. He tells us the standard, the love that's been put in him. This is the love that he, the Father has towards him. And the love he'd shown towards them, as I have loved you. Now, he's given them an example of this in chapter 13, where he washes their feet. He serves them by doing the most menial thing he, a, a person could do in that day for somebody, which was to wash their dirty, muddy feet. This, my, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13. Greater love, now he's going to tell us what it means. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he goes on to say, and I call you friends if you do what I commandment you to do. So this is not some legalistic thing where he's sitting there saying, all right, this is what you've got to do, and if you don't do it, I won't love you. No, he proves his love for us before we ever believed in him. No, what he's teaching us is a principle that if you want to know my life, if you want to be full of joy, if you want to be full of, 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 if you want to walk in these blessings of God, this is how you do it. You walk in the same way I've walked. You love one another the same way I've loved you, which is the way the fathers love me. And Jesus is saying to them, and I've given you a living example of this because I've done this in front of you. So let's go on. We're, we began to look last week as, all right, what does it mean to lay my life down for my friends? Well, first of all, it could possibly mean physically giving up your life. That's not likely, but it, it could come to that. Secondly, we talked about last time that, that it means, it, it may well mean, and in fact it does mean, that if my brother is in need of natural material things that I'm willing to take of what I have because I care enough about him to share with him my goods. In fact, in the very beginning of the church, they came together and sold their property and they put all the proceeds together to help support one another. It was not, you know, communism does, did, that tried to do that, but without the spirit of love in God, it was not based on, communism was not based on selflessness. Communism was based on selfishness. But, but, the, 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 but the heart of God, this is what they did. Not because somebody told them they had to do it, because they loved their brethren so much that their goods just didn't matter to them. So whatever they needed to do. And now we're going to look at hopefully two others. We may not get into the second one. And then next week there's the final one. There are others we could look at. So let's go now. 
and look at Galatians chapter 6. Whoops. Galatians chapter 6. Now, Paul, who writes this letter, has just finished talking about the difference between walking in your flesh, the works of the, the, the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and then walking in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that comes out of the life of God that's been put into us when we received Christ. John in chapter 15 we just looked at talks about I am the vine and you are the branch and the purpose of the branch is so the vine can bear fruit through the branch. We talked about that last week. And the life the life-giving love of God that's poured into the branch, into the trunk of the tree is what flows out through the branch and produces the fruit. Jesus said, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. So my life, my love, because we're now one, is to flow through me, through you, out into this world, the fruit of my life, the fruit of my love. And so this is what the... Paul saying the same thing here at the end of chapter 5. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So now he's going to give an application in chapter 6. Brethren, if any man is overtaken by any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Boy, if the church just started to do this. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And here's the verse I wanted to get to. Here's another way where I am called, if I'm going to live out this commandment, I am called to lay my life down for you, and you're called to lay your life down for one another. And for me, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to take some time this morning to break this down so that we can see how that applies in our life. The word bear here is a Greek word which means to carry or pick up something else that somebody else was carrying. I had a good example of that as I was thinking about this on Friday. Last year when Anita and I had the privilege of being able to, to take some time and to fulfill her dream and go to England in London, we ended up in London at a, at we, to our hotel. We took what we call a subway. They called the tube. And the station where we uh, had to go to was one of the oldest in the city of London. And, and, and uh, it, it, the lowest level that we came in on had no elevator to go to the next level where there was an elevator. We've just come off of, I've been up for 18 hours. I didn't sleep on the plane. We, we, we're, you know, and we're carrying these su- big, heavy suitcases, and I get off to find out there's no elevator. And now I've got to pull these suitcases up all the stairs. Well, a few days later, we're going to uh, York in northern, in northern England, and uh, because there was, a, uh, there was a, an event going on, we couldn't get a cab, so we've got to take the same underground system to go to the, the railroad station. So I get to the top of these stairs, and I'm tired. I got both of these heavy suitcases to take down the stairs. And as I go to take a step, all of a sudden, this one comes out from underneath my hand. And this young man picks it up and carries it down these two flights of stairs for me, never turns around and says it, and just leaves it there and walks off. And I'm just standing there dumbfounded. That wouldn't happen in this country. <laughs> and I'm just astounded. It's like he came and took my burden. 
He looked at this old guy <laughs> with these two suitcases and his wife standing next to him. And he said, I'm, gonna, I'm young and strong. I'm going to use my strength to help you. Now, could I have eventually? Yes, I could have because I got him up there. But he eased my burden by picking. That's what this word means. To bear someone else's burden means to come along. It doesn't mean you do it for them because I still had another suitcase. It means to help pick up that package and help provide that strength that, that they're weary carrying or maybe they're not strong enough to carry. So then what, what is the burden? That's what we're going to talk about a little. It's a weight in their life that somebody else carries. By the way, these notes are available online, so um, please avail yourself of them. So, now this follows instructions, first of all. We're going to talk about this in several areas. This follows instructions about somebody who's just fallen in sin. And it may not just be immorality. It, may be, it, be, it can be any brother or sister who's struggling with anything Satan has attached their, to their life that's wearing them down. So it can be anything from immorality, pornography, it can, be any, it can be just the issues of life. Something that somebody's struggling with that's hard for them to overcome on their own. So it follows instructions of one uh, who's fallen into any sin, the burden of the, and it's the burden and the guilt of that sin, and he's instructing those of us who are stronger and more spiritual to help that brother that's fallen or struggling, help them deal with the weight of that guilt, and help them deal with being restored. This is not something the church is very good at, but this is part of loving one another as Christ has loved us. What has He done? Didn't He do that for us? He came and identified with us and bore the burden by living among us, the burden of what that sin was like by dealing with people that were sinful and dealing with Him. And then ultimately He bore it by taking it in His own body on the tree that, that we being dead to sin might live under righteousness. First Peter 2, 23 and 24. So let's go quickly to Genesis chapter 9 and let's look at this a little bit something that many people don't think or know about. This is the story of Noah. The flood's over, his family's been saved in the ark, the, 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 the water subsided, they've landed, and they planted all over again what was planted by God in the beginning. And now Noah's resting from all of this. We're going to pick up uh, in verse 20, for those of you back there. Now Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Now Noah's going to slip. And he drank of the wine, and he became drunk, soused, passed out. And he was uncovered in his tent. Now, in those days, they wore robes. So he's passed out in such a way that his robe has come up, and his dignity is exposed. Understand what I'm saying? Okay? So let's look at what happens after this. So this is like his sin, what he's done wrong, has exposed himself. Okay, verse 22. And Ham, he's the youngest, the father of Canaan, we won't get into that, saw the nakedness of his father, saw his father's sin, and he went and put pictures on Facebook and YouTube and posted comments about his drunk father who's passed out. But that's basically what he did. He went and told his two brothers outside. Have you seen what our father did? 
And I'm sure he started talking about the shame that his fathers brought him. We're talking about bearing one another's burden. So Noah's sinned here. He's lost control of himself. He's passed out. And his sin has become obvious and exposing him in a way. Now we're going to look at how his children have handled this in terms of what we're talking about. Verse 23. But Shem and Jephthah, the other two, they took a garment... What they did is they picked up a a, a garment, one of their robes maybe, and they laid it on both of their shoulders and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. They did, they, now, they could have picked it up and gone in frontwards, seen their father's nakedness, and covered it up. But they chose to not even embarrass their father by having seen his nakedness, or his sin. Now think about what we as Christians do when somebody falls, somebody stumbles. Whether it's a national figure, or whether it's somebody in the church, or whether it's somebody in our family. We're very quick to come in and judge sometimes. We're very quick to go share their sin with other people. And the Bible's teaching us that's not the commandment of God. What if... (laughs) What if God decided, you know, I think I'll do what the church does. I'm going to broadcast today all of your nakedness. All of the things you don't want, we don't want anybody else to see about us. And I'm just going to broadcast them out there. He could do that. But He doesn't do that. He covers us. And so love in this case, love in this case covered their father's sin without even looking at it themselves. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, I think it's 21, yeah. Once Adam and Eve had sinned, one of the first things they did is they, they were now, it says at the end of chapter 2, they were both naked and were not ashamed. They weren't aware of, the, of their sin, they weren't aware of themselves, they hadn't sinned. And the first thing they did when they break God's commandment is they run and hide and they, they cut fig leaves for themselves, or leaves, I don't know if they're fig leaves, and they, cover their, they try to cover their own nakedness. That stands for self-righteousness, my effort to cover my own sin. But look what God did. As for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. God clothed their nakedness, but He did it by an animal that had to shed its blood so that He could cover them with the animal's skin. So it speaks of helping a brother when they've fallen, when they've sinned, in a way that supports them and encourages them and helps them over their guilt. In fact, one of the ways, in fact, the primary way that God's grace and mercy is to be communicated to other people is through the way we respond to them when they've struggled and when they've fallen. We are the carriers of God's grace. It's hard to see God in heaven forgiving us. It's hard to see God in heaven's grace that God still loves us when we've messed up. But when a brother or sister puts their arm around you when we're allowed to do that or gives you a bump or whatever, when a brother or sister, even though you've messed up, accepts you and loves you and doesn't condemn you and tries to help you recover, that's a living testimony and example of what God's grace is like. And that's what we're called to be to one another. We're called to minister that love and grace. We don't need that love and grace as much when everything is going well. But to bear one another's burden when we've messed up, when we've sinned, instead of... See, 
Gossip is sin. I don't want to get off on this. But gossip is sin and the internet is a cesspool of it. I don't want to say it any other way. Because people can say whatever they want. They're not accountable for what they say. And they can just speak it out. The problem is words are powerful. We'll talk about those in a few minutes. Words never go away. On the internet they stay there, but they don't go away in the spirit realm. So it speaks of how we handle a brother or sister when they've stumbled. It speaks of the fact that we are one body together in Christ, and what one of us goes through, we all go through. And this is a little harder to grasp, but we'll show what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is dealing here with, with a church that's rampant with strife, pride, and image, spiritual immaturity, and they think they're so spiritually mature that they don't think Paul is qualified to come back and be among them, even though this church was birthed by him. And they're, they're, they're so, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are operating in such predominance, they think that's the measure of their spirituality. And Paul corrects them by saying, no, it's the love you have for one another that's the measure of your spirituality. So now in chapter 12, he's teaching this principle of unity, the unity of the Spirit. And we're only going to take a little part of this. We're going to look at, at uh, chapter 12, verse, verse 12, first of all. Paul's teaching them about the body of Christ. For as the body, our physical body, is one body and has many members, but all the members of that, bo- of that one body, being many, are still one body, so is Christ. So he's saying here, look at your own body. Your body is a great example of the body of Christ. That's why Paul uses it. He said, you're just one body. You didn't bring in here 75,000 parts and sat in a seat. You came in as one body, and yet right now your body has many members, many parts of you that are working together and operating together so that you can sit here and exist and be. You're one body, but that one body is made up of many different parts. And the problem is in the church, we're one body, but we're conscious of our, of our individuality and not the fact that we belong to a body before we're individuals. In fact, sometime later on I will teach you there's no such thing as an individual. I'll let you chew on that. If you think you're an individual, you're in a deception. I don't mean there's something wrong with you. You just don't understand yet. You either belong to the body of Christ or you belong to another family. But you know there are no such things as an individual who exists by their own right and for themselves. So Paul's teaching this principle. So although there's one body... That body is made up of many different members, and he'll talk about the differences on the members. So we're going to go now down to verse um, 25. And in that body there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member, listen to this, we're talking about loving one another as Christ loved us, laying our lives down, for one another. What does that mean? If one member suffers of your body, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice in it. I've used this example before, but it's, it's the best I can think of. If I got up in the middle of the night, and I've done this a couple of times, and, and, and I'm trying to get to the bathroom, or getting to the bathroom, and I didn't bother to put my slippers on, and I don't notice something Molly left... <laughs> a bone or something like that, or I I stub my toe into the edge of the bathroom. 
Now, the only thing that happened was my big toe ran into the door jam of our bathroom. Didn't affect my hands. Didn't affect my arms. Didn't affect my legs. That's poor, stupid toe. I'm really sorry for you that you're hurting. I'm, I'm just so sorry that this happened to you. I mean, I really feel for you, brother. But I'm going back to bed. And I'll let you suffer with it. That's not what happens at all, is it? It's like, ah, Anita, get up, help, get some ice. My whole body wakes up, becomes alert, and all the attention of my body is focused on that big toe because although that big toe is one member, it's a member of this body and we are part of one another. And Paul's using that as an example. So, my hands, my brain, my legs, all of me had to die a little bit to themselves to now take care of that big toe. So to have care for one another, to have care for one another, true care costs us something. It costs us, in that case it costs the rest of my body just being sleepy and want to get to the bathroom and get back into the nice warm bed. Now you are all the body of Christ and individually members, individually members. So when one member suffers or is honored, the rest of us are suffered and honored. But because we don't see ourselves as one body, so, so one of our members gets, gets a brand new car. We come to church and it's like, they got a brand new car. How'd they get that? How'd they get that? And we start getting jealous of them. That's seeing myself separate from you. I should rejoice for two reasons if you've got a new car. Because if you're blessed, I'm blessed because we're part of one another. The other thing is God has, God has more of them. <laughs> so if you've got one, God can provide one for me too. But that's not the point. The point is seeing ourselves separate from one another. And one of the challenges we've had in this church, as in almost all churches, is we see ourselves as, I don't know, four or five hundred individuals coming in on a Sunday and four or five hundred individuals leaving. And not one body worshiping together. And we're just part of the body. So I can't become envious of another church down the road because it may be growing faster than our church because it's one body. But Satan is the author of division. He did it in the garden and it's the same technique he uses today to create division in the church. And he'll use strife, he'll use envy. He uses all the things that are connected to our flesh. to create division. Now the New Testament refers to this as our fellowship together. Fellowship doesn't mean eating. (laughs) It can occur in the process of eating, but it uses the term fellowship or it uses the term communion, the communion of the saints or the fellowship of the saints. The Greek word in both cases is the Greek word koinonia. And the best way I can describe what that word really means, it's a very rich word in the Greek language, it means it's like taking two cups of a fluid, whether it's milk or... or I got a great idea. It's taking, it's taking a, 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 a glass of milk and a glass of Hershey's chocolate. And it's pouring them into one cup together. And now the milk and the chocolate 
are blended together into one. Fellowship means sharing everything of life together. The real richness of a marriage is not being together. The real richness of a marriage is sharing everything together. The good times and the bad times, the joy and the tears, the sharing together is what brings the richness of the relationship and the richness of the relationship of one another brings the richness of the relationship of Christ into our lives. You will never experience the richness of His love being isolated. You will only experience the richness of His love as you give it away to others. We had a situation a number of years ago where, oh, I got to move on. I don't have time to get into it. I'll share it another time. James 2.8 says that, that, um, that, that as we do this, as we, if you really fulfill the law of Christ according to scriptures, then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving one another is fulfilling the law of Christ. So all the commandments, everything else is really, Jesus said, oh, elsewhere, reduce them to two things. Two things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might and all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And they are two equal things. You cannot love God, and I'll show you that to you next week. You cannot love God without loving other people. You can't do it. You can't sit and say, oh, I love God, but I just want to stay an island to myself. You can't love God. I'll show you in the Word where He says that Himself. So how do we apply this in our lives in the next few minutes? Well, what are the burdens that others are carrying that I should help them bear? Every one of us is carrying some kind of a burden, a pressure, a fear, a hurt, or uncertainty. In the men's Bible study we had this last week, I was the one that run this one. And I just kind of opened it up for people to share what they're going through. And it's amazing some of the things that I heard. It's like I would not have thought of them if I just see somebody in church. But when I asked, and we just, and they were, I was so thrilled because they were willing to open and trust one another to share. It really, they all touched my heart. So I found that later on that week, I found myself praying for them because now I was touched by what they were going through. Instead of just saying, hi, how are you today? I now know something about them. I'm going to lead into how that's important. So, it says we are, we are to, so, um, second thing is, so we, we have to be aware of them. Number two, how do we help others bear their burdens? It's a giving of ourselves to them to come alongside of them that, as we would want someone to come alongside of us. And there are four things we're going to talk about quickly, and, and then we'll end. And we'll get into the second, uh, another one of these next week. First thing, as a Christian, we have the responsibility to care enough about our brothers to find out what their burden is. Not just come to church and say, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Praise God. Wonderful. Because that's like two ships passing in the night. And that's what church has been, and that keeps us comfortable. It's not comfortable sometimes when we ask, how are you doing? I don't want to know. Don't tell me how you're really doing. I just want to let you know that I acknowledge you, because then I'll feel better about myself. So much of what we do in church is still self-centered. I, I'm, uh, this is things God's teaching me. That you're a pastor. You love everybody. Yeah, I love everybody, but I'm a very private person. Personal per- and in my core, just like you are, I'm self-centered. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> so are you. The Bible says you are. <laughs> so we have the responsibility to care enough to find out what they're carrying. 
Now, next week I'll talk about, do we have to do this with everybody? So we have to be proactive. We have to take an initiative. We have to choose to care enough about whatever the burden is, listen to me, to act out of our will, not of our emotions. Because we think so much love is an emotion. No, love is an act of your will. That's why Jesus couldn't command us to have an emotion. He commanded us to exercise our will to love one another. So the decision to be proactive, to find out what's going on in your life, do you need me to help you in some way, that requires a decision of my will, and the cost is I give up my comfort, I may not be inconvenient, I may not want to get involved in what you're getting involved in, but in order to bear one another's burden, in order to fulfill the law of Christ, in order to fulfill the commandment, I don't have a choice in that matter. I'll give you a present day example. It's what we're doing on September 23rd. We have brothers and sisters here at FCC that are bearing a burden simply because of the color of their skin. Just because the color of their skin, they're bearing something I don't have to bear. And I have trouble even understanding and relating to it. And what came out of me, what got exposed to me, is that, and I'm not, I'm not beating myself up, I just have to come, I never cared enough to really find out. Once I was, it was called to my attention, God's love in me began to come out, but I never cared enough to find out, what do you deal with with that? So that caring requires an initiative on our part. We'll talk next week about, are there boundaries to this, what are the limits to this? But we've got to first of all accept that initial responsibility. See, the love of Christ cares enough to find out. God doesn't sit in heaven and say, well, if you really got a problem, you know, they'll come and talk to me about it, but I'm going to wait here until they do. No, it says He knows our needs before we ever ask. In fact, He's working ahead of you because He knows your needs to already take care of the needs before you even ask. He's just waiting for you to ask Him for it to come about. So He's proactive. He didn't wait until we cried out for a Savior. He sent the Savior for us before we ever cried out for Him. God is proactive. Love is proactive. Second thing, the way we carry one another's burdens, is by listening to what they have to share, what they're going through. Hearing in the midst of what they're experiencing. Pastor Michael, a couple of months ago, on a Sunday morning, did an, an excellent message on listening. But I'll give you a couple of the highlights. And this is hard for men, and hard for men that have scriptures. It, it, it's, it's, listening is not giving answers. Men, listening is not giving answers. Because when my wife, she's coming second service because uh, our son that got married last year with his wife are, are here. So they're coming second service. So, so I can, I'm a little freer right now. <laughs> Except it's recorded. It's on, it's on YouTube. <laughs> she now found out how to go look. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Okay. Because my tendency is when she's sharing with me, to think of scriptures, things, of, things to tell her to do. But I've discovered if I'm trying to think up my answer while she's talking, I can't possibly be listening. Then I discovered the shock. She doesn't want an answer. She just wants me to listen. But I'm a problem, men are problem solvers. 
So ladies, you come to us and say, I got this issue. The man's already thinking of how he's going to go out and hunt that animal and kill that thing. He's going to solve this problem for you. But what you want him to do, man, what they want you to do is just listen. They don't want an answer because when you listen, you're there with them. When you're giving answers, you put a barrier there. There's no emotional connection there. And so to listen to somebody, really listen from the heart, we have to be vulnerable enough to allow there be an emotional connection that impacts us. And that's what we often don't want. I, I don't want to carry your burden is what I'm saying. But we're commanded to do it. And what we'll learn, we just, Jesus said, if you'll do this, my joy in you will be full in you. So you will become full of His joy by doing the very thing, very opposite of what it feels like is going to happen to you. It's allowing your heart to be touched with the feeling, the feeling of what they're going through to the best you can. The greatest example of that is Jesus. He's touched with the feeling, the feeling of our infirmities because He wore flesh to become identified with us, to know what it was like, what human beings struggle with. God became one of us. So he had to know what it was like to deal with temptation, deal with tiredness, deal with frustrating people. And he would get frustrated at times. How long do I have to put up with you, he would say. He knows what that's like. He was willing to give up the glory that he had to be able to experience what you experience so he could be a help to you, a faithful high priest. And we can't really help somebody until we've been willing to be touched in our heart by what they're going through. That's not comfortable for many of us. But that's part of giving my life up for somebody else. Setting aside what makes me comfortable. Setting aside what makes me feel secure. Set aside, in some cases it says, I don't feel qualified. I'm not qualified to do that. Try. Because God's in you to enable you to do it. The love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So listening. Listening, we've said this before, listening validates the person that you're listening to. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean that you have to... That's why some people... Husbands and wives get these arguments because the husband thinks or the wife thinks, I've got to, I don't agree with what you're saying. I know, but I'll just listen to you. Just actually what you find out when you really listen to people, you may learn something. There are people I've really set myself to listen to. I've never been willing to, or taken the time, which is the same thing, to listen to what they were going through. And as I did, it gave me a whole new perspective on things. It's amazing what you can learn by shutting your mouth, which is hard when you're a preacher and an ex-lawyer. It's just shut your mouth and listen from your heart. It's not listening when you're going... How soon do I have to get this over? No, then your heart's not in it. And lastly, well, no, there's two more, quickly. Words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. Words are so powerful. Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Paul has just finished talking about the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the brethren. And then he's talked about what the purpose of the ministry gifts are, is to mature the saints. And then he starts in verse 17, going through a list of signs of what a mature saint will do. And he gets down to verse 29. Let no 
corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Corrupt doesn't mean swearing. Obviously, that includes that. But he's going to tell you what a corrupt word is. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, back then, it's the only place it could come out of. Now it could come out through Facebook. It can come out through Instagram. It can come out through all kinds of sources that are out there. Words come out from us. In order to walk in love, in order to, to, to bear one another's burden, we have, look what we have to do. But only what is necessary for edification. The word edification means to build up and to strengthen and, and encourage that it may give, impart grace to the hearers. This is the filter that God has given to the church to govern the words that come out of our mouth to one another. Getting quiet. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but only words that are going to build up, encourage, and communicate grace to the hearer. In order to bear one another's burdens, to help them, we give them words of encouragement. Sometimes that's all they need. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You'll make it. You'll get through this. There's an answer out there somewhere. I may not have the answer for you, but there is an answer because we need hope. People need hope. And the last thing we'll talk about today is just simply being there with them. This is hard for me because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a goal-oriented person. So if somebody's struggling and I have to go be with them, I want, okay, what am I supposed to do? What's the goal of this visit? What's the goal of this phone call? And if I can't see a goal in it, I'm inclined to say, well, there's no purpose in me doing it. And this is where God's having to open my eyes. There's a purpose in you just being there for people. There's a purpose in you just sometimes, you know, my wife may be struggling with something. She may be, a while ago she was crying. I don't know what she was crying. Remember, never know why they're crying. And it makes, it unnerves us, ladies, when you cry. Because we've got to fix it and we don't know how to fix it. And I know sometimes you use that as a weapon, too. So I'm up there, my mind's like, what, what did I do? What did I do wrong? What did Molly do wrong? You know, what does she need? I'm trying to look around, and all of a sudden, well, let me try something. This unique idea. Let me just go up and put my arms around her. And I put my arms around her, and she's crying on my shoulder, and I, didn't, that, I thought that was going to work. See, men are looking for, what do I have to do to fix it? And she just needs me there with her. And I put my arm around her, and suddenly I just said, look, just go ahead and cry it out. And she just, it just poured out of her. And in a matter of just a moment, she was smiling and she was fine. She just needed to know I was there holding her and therefore she was safe and secure just to let it out. That was their being with her. I was helping her bear a burden. I don't even know what it was, but it didn't matter. I didn't, know, I didn't even know what the burden was. I was there with her in the situation. Now, I would love to tell you that I do it that way all the time, but I am still a work in progress like the rest of you. I want to end, uh, I want to end with a, a, some verses we'll end with next week. No, we're going to end here. We're going to stop here. So we've got uh, two more things we're going to talk about next week. Two more ways to apply 
to, 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 this, to apply the standard that Christ has given us to lay our lives down for one another. Two more areas, and they're the two, perhaps the two most important and the two most present for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, we've heard today the words of our Savior and of our Lord. And we know from your word that you have put in us the ability to live these out because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us, and therefore his love lives in us. His grace lives in us. His words live in us. His being there lives in us. His kindness lives in us. And we confess to you, we don't have that in ourselves. There are times we just don't want to do that, and we don't see it in ourselves. But Father, this is a walk of faith, where by faith we choose to exercise our will, regardless of how we feel. So we're asking you today, as we bring this to a close, Father, come alongside of us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And strengthen us and encourage us to begin to apply the words that we've heard today in our everyday life with our, with our family, with our spouse, at work, with people in the marketplace that we may run into, whatever situation is, even a difficult neighbor. Help us, Lord, to begin to not react and to begin to look inside and say, Jesus, how would you respond in this situation? Because you're in me and you're ready to do that. And we thank you for the grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.